Children, obey your parents, for the Lord says this is right. Thank you, Nick. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. That's a great, that's a great verse. And the reason that I wanted to have that as our verse is, of course, because this is, is Daily Vacation Bible School Sunday. And we've been uh, spending a lot of time with all of you kids this week. But I want you also to know that there's a second part to that verse. And the second part talks about parents. So if children are to obey their parents, then there's some additional thoughts. Let me give you a thought or two, and this is just kind of a a, a sort of a devotion of of thinking about parents, grandparents' influences on children. And kids, I have a couple questions I need to ask you, so be ready. I don't need the answer yet. (laughs) Here's a, I was reading this, I thought this was great. Somebody said, Somebody said it takes about six weeks to get back to normal after you've had a baby. Somebody doesn't know that once you're a mother, normal is history. Somebody said you learn how to be a mother by instinct. Somebody never took a three-year-old shopping. Somebody said being a mother is boring. Somebody never rode in a car driven by a teenager with a driver's permit. Oh, Lord, I remember that. Your faith increases, and you think about eternity. Somebody said, if you're a good mother, your child will turn out good. Does that make sense, kid? Somebody thinks a child comes with directions and a guarantee. Somebody said good mothers never raised their voices. Somebody never came out the back door just in time to see her child hit a golf ball through the neighbor's kitchen window. Somebody said you don't need an education to be a mother. Somebody never helped the fourth grader do their math studies. Somebody said the hardest part of being a mother is labor and delivery. Somebody never walked her baby to school for the first day of kindergarten. Somebody said a mother can stop worrying after her child gets married. Somebody doesn't know that marriage adds a new son or daughter-in-law to the mother's heartstrings. That's for you, Bargiers. Somebody said a mother's job is done when her last child leaves home. Somebody never had grandchildren. Somebody said your mother knows you love her, so you don't need to tell her. Somebody isn't a mother. Well, in thinking about that, uh, you know, parenting and kids and being kids and, and the influence that we have on our children and our grandchildren and, and uh, our relatives, uh, this passage is a fascinating passage, and Nick did very well. He memorized it. Uh, let me give it to you again. Children, do what your parents... Another translation. This is out of the message translation. 
parents do what your par- children do what your parents tell you. Parents do what your children. Yeah, we do that too. This is only right. Honor your father and mother, and it's the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Namely, so you will live well and have a long life. You want to live well? You want to have a long life? Well, the Bible says, honor your mother and your father. Now, that's the first part. There's another part. It speaks to fathers. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master or in the way of the Lord. So you're to obey your parents and they're to lead you in the way of the Lord. In the Jewish culture uh, that this was written in from, uh, from Paul's writings in Ephesians, in that uh, Greco-Roman Jewish culture, the honoring your parents was part of the culture in the known world of the day. So that was common. So when he said this uh, in the Ephesians, he really was reflecting a cultural uh, norm. And, uh, and we were trying to look at that uh, in reference to uh, moms. And, and somebody says here, just some great wisdom in those little thoughts. Well, we did that thing for moms, but there was something about dads I read, too, and I thought this was uh, maybe helpful. When God made dads, okay, kids, think about this. When God made dads, I'm wondering, well, what was going through his mind when he made dads? Kind of different, huh? Yeah. Here's what it says. When the Lord was creating fathers, he started with a tall frame, and an angel standing nearby said, what kind of father is that? If you're going to make children so close to the ground, why do you put fathers so high? He won't be able to shoot marbles without kneeling. Makes sense, doesn't it? He won't be able to tuck a child in bed without bending. He won't even be able to kiss a child without stooping. And God smiled and said, yes, but I made him But if I make him child-size, who will the children have to look up to? And when God made the father's hands, they were large and skinny. And the angel shook his head and said, I don't think you want to make those hands like that. Large hands are clumsy. They can't manage diaper pins, small buttons, rubber bands, or ponytails. Who has a ponytail? Yeah, dads are not as good as moms, are they? And so he said, so the angel said, they can't do that. God said, he smiled again, I know, but they're large enough to hold everything a small boy empties from his pockets at the end of the day, yet small enough to cup a child's face in his hands. Isn't it fun when dad pays attention and you can take all the stuff out of your pockets, all that stuff. Frogs, mice, that's what I did. (laughs) I had a snake or two, too. (laughs) That really spooked him. (laughs) And then God molded long, slim legs and broad shoulders, and the angel nearly had a heart attack. Boy, this is the end of the week. All right, he said. How is this going to pull a child close to him without the kid falling between his legs? And God smiled and said, A mother needs a lap, but a father needs strong shoulders to pull a sled when you go up to the snow, balance a boy on a bicycle or a girl, 
or hold a sleepy head on the way home from the circus or Disneyland. God worked through the night, giving the father few words, but a firm voice and eyes that saw everything. And finally, almost as an afterthought, he added tears. Dads have tears, huh? Sometimes they do. And then he turned to the angel and he said, Now, are you satisfied that he can love as much as a mother? And the angel was silent. Most of us know children obey your parents. We know that, don't we? And you've been told that. You all knew that that verse one way or the other. Nikki memorized it, but you've all memorized that. And it's important. But this passage also says that their fathers are not to exasperate their children. And that comes out of the idea of fathers and mothers being in a home where you're led, where children are led in the way of the Lord. And when they're led in love, there are few times that fathers and mothers have to exasperate you kids. When we sort of lose it, you know what I mean, when moms and dads sort of lose it? Well, that's not the way the Lord wanted it to be. And sometimes that happens. But if we lead you in the right way, then there will be far fewer times where we lose it will be more consistent as parents. And that's the whole sense of this passage. It was that the, the Ten Commandments and the Shema was taught in the home, memorized by the children along the way, and children were instructed every day with the values of the family and the culture. And then when there was a change or there was a need for discipline, it was a minor adjustment rather than a major adjustment because the pattern was well in place. Submission was earned not a right, but earn. I know that my dad sometimes would say, my mother more than my dad, because I'm mom. Also knew that she held all of the power over me, because she could tell my dad. Now, mom telling dad made whatever I did much worse. Have you ever thought about that? So you get home and you do something, your mom says, I'm going to tell your dad. Well, whatever she told him was worse than what I did. You ever notice that? It kind of gets that way, doesn't it? So we're to have a house full of love where we consistently train our children in the ways of the Lord. This, in this culture, it said fathers because in, in that time, women did not have votes. They were not educated. It was up to the, to the male in the home to teach and train and educate the, the woman and then the children. But, of course, today it would be dad and mom do not exasperate your children. And that would be the, the idea there. And give them the Shema. The Shema was Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. Every child memorized it. Here's what it says. It's just great stuff. It says, here, oh, and incidentally, they wore the Shema on their body in a little, in a little bracelet. And on the doorpost, it was posted, and they said this every day. Every child said this every day. And here's what it said. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. 
And then it talks about parents. It says to parents, impress these commandments, these truths. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That was God's plan for spiritual formation. It was along the way to teach lessons. Now, isn't it a lot easier to learn kids when you're out doing something and you see a bird or you see an animal or you see rain and then someone can explain that to you? Because you see it? That's what the idea is here, that along the way we're to learn the truths, the commandments. Spiritual formation takes place along the way. It does not take place in Sunday school. We try to capsulate it in Sunday school with truth and daily vacation Bible school. But spiritual formation happens seven days a week at home, at school, and in our lives along the way. So that's where we parents and grandparents fit in and, and leaders and adults. Along the way, we want to make sure that we help guide all of you children. That's where our faith makes sense. This section presupposes that the instruction then from the parent to the child has taken place. Now, there's one more verse, and I think you probably know this one. Do you all know this one? It's Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child. Train. How many of you uh, have been on a horse, have ridden a horse? Yeah? So what did you ride on when you rode the horse? I mean, there's the horse. So is there something on the horse? That, a saddle. What else? A bridle. Now tell me about the bridle. But what, what is it? It's a rope that helps the horse. Where is the bridle? On the neck, and where else? On the head, and where else? The bit. Yeah, it's attached to the bit. Very good. Well, this passage of Scripture comes right out of that idea that the way we train up a person or how we're trained, it's a bridle, and that's another term for it. And it gives us guidance and leadership. And uh, as we would a horse, uh, we're to give, we're to train our children with that kind of truth and give them guidance. Another, uh, another application of that word train is a midwife, she would deliver the baby in the days of old. They always did that. And today, you know, my, uh, my nephew and, and his wife, they just had a baby and they had a midwife deliver the baby. So the midwife uh, or the doctor receives the baby, right? You all were born this way. This is how it all happened. And there you are, and then there's this little thing there, this little red thing, just crying and yelling. Right, Morgan? Right, Maddie? Just crying and yelling. And then uh, in the old days, in order to get the baby to start to nurse from his or her mommy, the midwife would put a little blanket or some kind of a, uh, something on the baby, 
and then would take some uh, figs that are smashed up and take it and just touch the baby's mouth with the figs, fig juice, like that. And then that made the baby want to do what? Lick it out. Don't you do that when something's sweet on your lips? Like that. That's how they train babies then to be able to feed from their mommy's breast. So the midwife did that, and then they would place the baby up against the mommy, and then the baby started to have his or her first meal. And that's how it was done. Training means then to somehow create a taste for that product or a taste for something or direction. It literally means to develop a thirst for. So the proverb says, parents, develop a thirst in your children for God. And children, we know you have a thirst for God. You've shared that with us this morning. And then as we develop that thirst uh, in our children and we're loving our parents and we're doing all of that, the next place says in the way. And in the way there, it really talks about the idea of an archer. And how an archer would uh, go out into the woods. Have you, how many of you have ever shot a bow? Arrow. Pretty cool, huh? I mean, it, it really is cool. If you get it right. I mean, did the arrow actually leave the bow and go somewhere? Very good, Nick. <laughs> Oftentimes, you don't get it all, you know, and bing, and it's still there. But in order to make a bow, so a bow is, a, how is a bow? Is a bow like this? Is it just straight? A bow is straight? No. A bow is bowed, bent. So you know how they find that bow, the one that you used? Somebody went out into the forest, and they looked up at a tree, and they saw a branch that had a bow in it, had a bend in it. And they took that branch, and they cut it down to where they could make it into a bow. And it has a natural bent to it. This idea here in the way they should go means that we are to train up our children and be trained as children in our natural bent. Some of you learn one way. Others of you learn other ways. And Sebastian learns his way. So there's all kinds of ways that we learn. Isn't that correct? And we as adults, we know that, don't we? We're all the same. But when someone tries to change our natural bent, we resist it, and it doesn't work. We have natural bents. And the wisdom of the writer said, every child has a natural bent to them, and train them that way to love God. There's some natural things within them that will help thirst for God and righteousness, and that's what that's talking about. Each child is unique. And let me finish with this story. King David was building an army. And uh, he'd been kicked out of, out of where he was by Saul, and so he's out there with his army. And there was a whole bunch of warriors, really great warriors. They were amazing warriors. But King Saul didn't want him in his army. You know why? I bet you can't guess. Every one of these warriors was a little bit different than all the rest of them in one way. Anybody know? It's a hard question. Because they were all 
left-handed. Who are you? Who's left-handed here? Raise it high. One, two, three, four, five. Only five. Left-handed. Okay, folks, left-handers, if you can remember which one it is, it's this one. Lift it up. How many of you adults, when you were in school, you got to be older to, to, to have had this happen, they tried to switch you over to right hand. Any? Some of you? Malcolm? They tried to do it with my sister. She's left-handed. And uh, so these warriors that the king had trained but had told him they can't fight with him anymore, they were all lefties. And David thought, hmm, these guys are special. And here's what it says. It says, these were the men of Issachar who came to David while he was banished from the presence of Saul. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or to sling stones right-handed or left-handed. They were kinsmen of Saul. That means they could do this or this. Now, you know I used to be a policeman, right? I did. I was a policeman. And one of the things they made us do was when we trained with, I was, I'm right-handed, and so we'd go into the range and we would shoot a target and practice. Then there was the time where they make us do it with our left hand oh. and try to hit the target. Everything is different. But some people are what we call ambidextrous. They can use either hand equally. Have you ever known anybody like that? Baseball players. Switch hitters. Right-hander. Or come up and left-hand, right? And baseball players that can switch hit are some of the most valuable because they can study the pitcher and the weakness. And then if they can get up to the plate, they can take advantage of the weakness of the pitcher. David knew that if I could have left-handers, they would be able to guide a, an arrow or a stone at the weak side of the enemy that was more exposed because of the strategic uh, difference. He actually knew they were better warriors for war. And he chose all the lefties, and he won the war. They were called men of Issachar. And here's what it says about them. It said, the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Here's the point of it all. They were wise. Now, here's what I want us to do. Parents, grandparents, all of us, first, we're to teach our children along the way. We're to raise our children in community. You know, when we have neighborhoods, we really should rely upon each other to assist in developing our children. In the block where, the, where I grew up, every mother had 16 eyes. And they all knew who every kid was. And so help me, if you did anything wrong, your mom knew before you got home. Anybody live in one of those neighborhoods? Yeah, man, I'll tell you, it's a great neighborhood. It was a great neighborhood. Well, we're to train our children along the way. We're to assist them. I, on occasion, am told, and I'm aware of this, we have some kids come here that do a little community service. 
Every once in a while, I am not sure that the pants are even on, the boys. So, along the way, I'm going to teach that kid something. Hey, pull your britches up. I have no interest in looking at that part of your anatomy. You're at church. And I mean to tell you, all you got to do, and just keep, Now, I know that school couldn't get him to do it. Maybe mom and dad couldn't do it, but some old man yelling at him at the church, telling them that they didn't want to see their, <clears throat> and they pull them up. Well, that certainly is not a life lesson, but it's a significant thing in that along the way, we are to be caring for each other. That's the first thing we're to do. The second thing we're to do is recognize the uniqueness or the bent of each child. Do you know that your mommy and your daddy are different from each other? Yeah? When you, want, when you are trying to ask, when, you, when you're asking for something, you ask your mommy in a different way than you ask your daddy? And you try to get them apart and get one to say yes so the other one will? Yeah. And then you go, but mommy said, or daddy said, right? Yeah, you do that. Well, you see, your mommies and your daddies, they're different. They have different bents to them. Your kids have different bents to them. Is there an amen anywhere? Man, do they. Well, that's the second thing. Recognize the uniqueness of each child. Third, know the times. Know the times. Culture is shifting rapidly. With the age of uh, social networking and everything else, things are changing. Know the times. And that's for us to be aware of and how we can make sure they're learning along the way in the midst of those changing times. And then fourthly, and here's the last point, I think we need partnership. And that's why Daily Vacation Bible School is here. That's why Awan is here. That's why church is here. That's why so many activities with our youth, our surf camp, and everything else. The reason all this is here, and for adults as well, is simply because we are in the business and in the privilege of helping people form their lives for God. And in the midst of all that, we want to do it together. We need each other. Uh, it does take, it does take a, it's far more than an individual or just a family. It takes a whole community to raise a child. It takes a town. It takes all of us. It takes a church. So I want to encourage every one of you to think about that. Worship together. Uh, come to church together. Let the kids lead us. They, they got it down. And we'll learn from them. So some thoughts just for the day. And uh, whoever that somebody is that was telling all about you women, if you'll find that person, I'd like to ask them a few more questions. I know who the guy is. I got that figured out. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for each of these children, their uniqueness. Thank you for the bent that you've given to them. Form them into the man or the woman that you want them to be. And thank you for the privilege of being parents and grandparents, uncles and aunts, brothers and sisters, neighbors and friends. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of children's lives, the most important people in the world. And as we give guidance and leadership, we as a community then worship you and commit to follow your commandments. In Jesus' name, amen.